Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. I pray you'll bear with me today as I make my way through. I have chosen to... uh, use my notes, and I will stay very closely to them because uh, some folks say I have a tendency to wander. But what do they know? It may have been all in the plan of God. Before I share the word with you this morning, I want to say a few things that I believe are important for us to better understand what is happening and what is going to happen in the house today. First of all, I want to say as an elder in this house, I believe my primary responsibility is to mirror the vision that our pastor has set before us and to do all within my power and ability to bring it to pass and to be a support and an encourager to he and his family. Second, I believe it is my responsibility to serve and direct this church to the best of my gifting, anointing, training, experience, and God-given ability to help each of you become all that God has destined you to become. In reality, that should be the goal of every member of Harvest Time Church. I also believe that God has anointed and gifted all of us with different gifts and callings to which we must be true or we violate that calling and confuse the plan of God for us and his body and forfeit our destiny. As a young pastor, I was much more gentle. Perhaps more loving, more understanding, more merciful, and certainly more patient. But as I have aged and grown, my anointing and my calling has become more prophetic than pastoral. Now, I don't mean prophetic in the sense of foretelling your futures or even in confronting the wrongs that are in society, but things inside the church. Dangerous shifts in thinking. Accepting behavior that is contrary to the scripture. Failing to confront sin because the fear of offending someone. Using the love of God as an excuse to be less than what God has called us to be as his church. And the pressure of our society in general to be quiet and keep our judgmental, hateful, bigoted, 
Christian opinions to ourselves. This morning I'm going to share a message with you that the Lord began dealing with me about some weeks ago. I wondered whether or not in light of the circumstances with the home going of our precious brother, if perhaps I needed to change direction and I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, oh no, because there are people in the house that desperately need to hear what I'm going to say. I'm going to share a message that I believe to be completely biblically sound and Holy Ghost inspired. My heart is not one of hate or judgment, but one of true concern that everyone be given opportunity to clearly understand the call of Jesus when he said, come, follow me and answer fully aware of the consequence of that decision. Number one, our witness is a serious thing for us and for others. God help us maintain in our lifestyle a lifestyle in every aspect that glorifies Him. As a child of God, you must, I must do our very best to always represent Him. The things we do, the places we go, the things we say, the movies we attend, the comments that we make, all of these are important. Not because I think they are, but because God thinks they are. It is He who has set the standard, not me. Listen as I read I want to read it out of the Message Bible because I think it, it says it so well. This is, if you have not read the book of Ezekiel lately, you might want to take some time and read through the book of Ezekiel. It's an unusual book with all kinds of instructions to this prophet of God. One such thing was take a brick, let it represent a city. And then bring siege against that city. Strange. Another one was lay on one side for a certain number of days. Representing. But in the midst of that, as he's giving instructions to Ezekiel, this is what he says. At the end of seven days, Ezekiel says, I received this message from God. Son of man. I made you a watchman for the family of Israel. Whenever you hear me say something, warn them for me. If I say to the wicked, you are going to die, and you don't sound the alarm warning them that it's a matter of life and death, they will die and it will be your fault. I'll hold you responsible. 
But if you warn the wicked and they keep right on sinning anyway, they'll most certainly die for their sin, but you won't die. You'll have saved your life. And if the righteous man turns back from living righteously and take up with evil, when I step in and put them in a hard place, they'll die. If you haven't warned them, they'll die because of their sins. And none of the right things they have done will count for any more. I'll hold you responsible. But if you warn these righteous people not to sin and they listen to you, they'll live because they took the warning. And again, you will have saved your life. Now, that is a tremendous warning but he was saying to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, this is a serious matter. This is not something to be entered into frivolously or lightly or without concern or without commitment. You see, folks, I'm afraid that, that, that in, in our attempt to make the gospel palatable to our society, we have compromised on the awesomeness of what it is that you and I possess. Our eyes have grown dim. Our minds perhaps have become shadowed over the uniqueness and the preciousness to what we have been given. And that is the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus. Secondly, not only is our witness a serious thing, secondly, God is a God of forgiveness, grace, and mercy, but I want to say that. We all believe that God is a God of another chance or another opportunity, and the Bible certainly teaches that by the many examples that it gives of people throughout the Bible as they made bad choices, even rebelled, God has always been and will always be a God of redemption. But the Bible also says that there is a time that I call too late. It's a serious thing God's asked us. Number three, God's heart is always toward redemption. But listen to Genesis 6, 6 through 7. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animal to creeping things to birds in the sky, I am sorry that I have made them. Mankind had come to a place in living out their life that God said, I'm sorry I made them. But if you continue reading in verse 8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. See, God is a God of redemption. 
God is not a God that's out trying to punish somebody, to destroy somebody. He is a God that's trying to reach somebody. But there is a point in the life of man that it's too late. I don't like it. I didn't make the rules. But what I'm saying to us today is that we must not take what it is that God has done for us flippantly nor lightly. We must not simply assume that because God is a God of love and God is a God of mercy and God is a God of goodness and that he loves us and has mercy toward us, that we are not responsible in our response to him. To simply sin and know we're sinning and to say, oh, God understands and God is a God of forgiveness is unthinkable in the life of a believer. Unthinkable. Listen to this. This is out of Jude, out of the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 7 says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. There came a time in those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, in those cities that surrounded them, that they had given themselves so completely over to the flesh that God destroyed them. But listen, God's a God of redemption. Because right after that it said, none were saved but Lot and his family. See, there's always redemption. God's always trying to buy us back. God's always trying to get us to go with him. God's always saying, I love you. I have purpose. You have destiny. But we must understand as his children that there comes a responsibility with being his child. Listen to this out of Luke chapter 3 verse 9. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. But there's always redemption because the cross and the resurrection are about to come. See, God's motive, God's desire, God's heart is not to punish anybody. He, he will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. But reality says, we must treasure that. We must guard that. We must honor that. We must respect that. We must live our lives in light of that. We must. We cannot cheapen the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, by simply excusing ungodly behavior because God's a God of love. Here's the message. That was all introduction. No more opportunity. There is a too late. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we can sit here all smug in our salvation 
And we say, thank God I got mine. Thank God I'm going to heaven, and that's precious. Let me tell you about an experience I had this week. Forty years ago, I pastored the First Baptist Church in Van Vleck, Texas, fresh out of seminary. And we had some children in that congregation whose father did not attend church. Fact of this, he was anti-church, anti-God, and anti-Christ, but a very nice guy, very likable. So as I would do my pastoral duty and I would visit and find myself in that home or run across him occasionally, he uh, was very dogmatic about me, my lifestyle, and the message that I preached. I had lost touch with him. The phone rang. It was my son who had talked to his, this man's son-in-law, married to one of his daughters. My son said to me, this man is asking for you. He had told the hospice chaplain that I want to see Pastor Jim Hardaway. 40 years. So Sharon and I made our way over to the nursing home in another city where he is under hospice. His legs are about as big around as my arms. Frail little body. Very confused in his thinking. But as I began to talk with him, he began to relate to me what I've been relating to you, that God is a God of Redemption of restoration. I talked to his son-in-law after my visit there, and he said, Pastor Jim, he said, I don't know if you remember it or not, but he certainly did. Remembered the time that he ate you out and called you everything in the book I said, well, I, I don't remember it at all. Thank God for my forgetter. What am I saying? I am saying that what you're doing today, where you're going, how you're talking, what you're spending your time on, what your affection is toward is affecting somebody's eternity. It's a serious thing. It's a serious thing. You know, we, we like to think that we're Armenian in our thinking that everybody that God wants everybody to be saved, but sometimes we're Calvinists in our living thinking that if God's going to save them, he'll save them without me. The reality is you and I have a part to play in the salvation of the people that's around us. Now, with that said, let me read the text. Luke 16, verse 19. Now, there was a rich man. Now, let me say beginning, this has nothing to do with about sickness or wellness, poverty or richness. This whole passage that Jesus and this story that Jesus tells is talking about the heart. 
Let me read it now. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Can you imagine? Now the poor man died, verse 22, and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, the abode of the dead, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abram far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the, tongue, the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony here. But Abram said, child, remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all that, there is between us and you a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and none may come over from you to us. Now listen to what this man in torment said. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him, Lazarus, this guy that was detested, this guy that was covered with sores, this guy that was, was hungry. He said, I pray you would send him to my father's house so I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abram said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Can you imagine anything worse than where this man found himself? I can. I can. And that is ending up in that very same position while all the time thinking you were going the other direction. Now, doesn't that just kind of grate against us? You would say, surely that wouldn't happen. Listen to the word. Come to God through the narrow gate, because the wide gate and broad path is the way that leads to destruction. Nearly everyone chooses the crowded path. Nearly everyone chooses the, pa the crowded path. The narrow gate and the difficult way leads to eternal life, so few there are that find it. So ladies and gentlemen, there is that, that, that thing that people can think they're all right and not be. 
Now, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I'm trying to get you to do two things. One, evaluate your salvation. Take a look at your life and see whether or not that you are taking what you have, the gift that you have, as seriously as you ought. And is your witness drawing people toward the kingdom or not? We have gotten so caught up in this individualism that, and this relativism that we don't even realize it. We excuse our actions away because we're not as bad as someone else. We excuse what we do because we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge everybody else by their actions. Now remember, I said in the beginning, I'm not judging anybody. I am just simply trying to do my Ezekiel duty and to sound a warning. Let me tell my own story just a little bit. I have been in church all my life. That's not an exaggeration. I came from parents who were involved in the church, especially my mother. We went to church. I went to 16 different schools before I graduated from high school. We moved. But it was the pattern of my family that no later than the second Sunday we were in our new address that we would make our way down to the local Baptist church, move our membership from the previous Baptist church, and become actively involved. And most often, my mother was teaching a Sunday school class within a matter of weeks. I heard the gospel multiple times, like most of you. I knew the love of God. I had witnessed the love of God. I saw the love of God demonstrated in my mother and many other people. I remember walking the aisle as a young 10, 11-year-old boy. Now, I do not know if the Holy Spirit was calling me or if I was simply going because others of my peer group were going. But I walked forward, and the pastor said, God bless you, sit over there. Never explained to me there were no membership classes, there were no discipleship classes, you just were part of the church simply by virtue of coming forward. I struggled with my salvation till I was 28 years old. I was the youth pastor at the First Baptist Church in Old Ocean, Texas. Sharon and I were serving as youth pastors. Of course, Baptists have two revivals every year, a fall revival and a spring revival, because you can only get saved twice a year. So you get saved at either one of those. So, No, seriously, it was just an opportunity when we desperately needed uh, some instruction. I remember as a young man standing there on the, holding on to the back of the pew till my knuckles would turn white. 
because I never had the assurance of my salvation. Some of you are just like that. You've been in church. You've heard the gospel. You, you can talk about it. You can say, I'll, but you don't have a certainty of your salvation. Now, you see, when you have a certainty of your salvation, that means you'll do something with it. I was always hesitant. But I remember that evangelist preaching and the Spirit of God was dealing with me, just like he's dealing with you right now. And I slipped out of my pew at the invitation time and went forward and took Brother Bobby Good by the hand and I said, Brother Bobby, I've never trusted Jesus as my personal Savior. I had led people to the Lord. I could quote scripture, but I had never personally trusted him. As I remember, Brother Bobby prayed with me and I sat down there on the front row because in Baptist churches, what you do when you give your heart to Jesus or join the church, you stand down front and everybody comes by and wishes you well, shakes your hand. That's not a bad thing. I remember sitting down there thinking this, and I'm not much of a philosopher, certainly wasn't when I was 28, but I remember sitting down there and two things specifically happened in my life. First of all, that doubt, that wondering was replaced with a sense of peace that I have not yet lost. Something happened on the inside of me that had never happened to me before, and the peace of God began to permeate my life. Secondly, I remember thinking this. I, I was always the kind of guy that was down the road for 25 cents more. If I could make 50 cents an hour more, I'd go down the road and get that job. Just no purpose, no direction. And I remember that day, I suddenly realized that I was a part of something that was so much bigger than myself. That it wasn't all about Jim Hardaway. It wasn't about what I wanted. It wasn't about what I needed. It wasn't about where I wanted to go. It wasn't about what I wanted to do. Something happened and I began to understand that somehow in that miraculous thing of salvation, that my want-tos changed, my heart changed, my, my life was impacted. I was born again. I wasn't the old man that I used to be. And I was a good guy. For heaven's sake, I was a youth pastor. See, some of you are relating real well to what I'm saying because what's held you back this far is you've not had a confidence that you really were forgiven, that you really did know Jesus, that you really have been called and anointed. And God's calling you out today. Let me continue. Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I had called out, Lord, Lord, many, many times. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. 
On judgment day, listen to this. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Depart from me. King James says, you workers of iniquity. What is the will of the Father? Very clearly, Jesus tells us in John 6, and this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on that last day. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, 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 know that you have eternal life. Do you know that? You know, one of the things we used to ask years ago in, in soul winning, you know, we'd ask people, do you know where you'd go if you died today? I hadn't heard that in years. You know why? Because we're afraid it'll offend somebody. What are you talking about? What do you mean? No, 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 no. You see, I said in the beginning, this is serious business we're about. See, this is not about how you look or where you live or what you drive. This is about your commitment of your life to Jesus Christ when you received, let me say this to you. He didn't come to make bad men better. He didn't come to make sick men well. He came to make dead men alive. Because the Bible clearly teaches us that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But God, rich in his mercy, see there, there's that redemption. You deserve death. You deserve what you got coming. You deserve all that. But because I love you, I'm going to send my son, let him die on the cross. Can you imagine? Why would we cheapen that by wanting to look like the world, church? Why in the world is it so important that we be sociably acceptable when we have the words of life? That's not bigoted. That's not hateful. That is absolutely the truth. that you may know that you have. I want to share with you quickly these five indicators that we're saved. You can, I'm going to read them out of 1 John. There's five of them. And I just want you to examine your own relationship. This is not for your neighbor. This is not for your brother or your sister. This is for you and for me to ask ourselves these questions and to determine. I, I'm gonna tell you, I'll be honest with you, church. I, I don't want to meet my God one day and hear him say, I never knew you because you know what? I'd be one of them but say, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. And Lord, I laid hands on the sick and they recovered. And, and Lord, because I've done all those things. But he's talking about a matter of the heart. He's, he's talking about the, the focus of your affections. He's, he's talking about what's really important 
to you? What, what is it that, that, that hurt? Are, are you willing to, to, to allow the, God to be maligned and, and, and ridiculed and not speak? You see, it's serious stuff. What you and I have on the inside of us is exactly what this world needs. That world doesn't need, you don't need what that world has. I mean, we all like our stuff. Now listen to these five indicators. I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going I'm to tell you what it is, and I'm going to read the scripture. Number one, doing what Jesus has said is important to me. Can I read it again? Doing what Jesus said is important to me. Now these are indicators of where our heart is. John 1, 2, 3 through 6. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Wow. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, you know, there's not a whole lot of room to wiggle there, is there? I've, I've been looking for a vehicle and one of the questions that I ask him, is there any wiggle room on the price? No, 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 no. There's no wiggle room there. You either are or you're not. You either do or you don't. You either want to or you don't want to. Number one, doing what Jesus has said is important to me. Number two, proper relationships are important to me. 1 John 2, 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause in him for stumbling. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Time to quit justifying all of those hurts and all that stuff. Number one, doing what Jesus said is important to me. Number two, proper relationships are important to me. Number three, maintaining a proper lifestyle is important to me. Here's verse 15 of John 2. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Number four, my testimony about Jesus to others is important to me. 1 John 2, 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. See, they want us to believe that these religions that do not worship Jesus are just as good as the God that we serve. And ladies and gentlemen, that is not so. The Word of God does not support that. 
Now, let me say that about the Word of God. You see, the reason this book is under so much attack, the reason that you have so much doubt into your mind, the reason that the world wants you to think this book is filled with errors is because this is the last standard. This is the last fortress that in any way gives anyone insight into what is right and what is wrong. You take this out of the equation, it does not matter what you say, where you go, who you believe, what you do, it does not matter because there is no reason to fear. Everything is relative. It's wrong for Robert, but it's not wrong for me. It's wrong for Barry, but it's not wrong for me because I don't think that it's wrong. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is what establishes right and wrong. This is what establishes what we need in our life and what it is that we need to be doing with our life. Right here. Number five, the presence of the Holy Spirit is evident to me and to others. I remember as a Baptist pastor, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Boy, I struggle with that speaking in tongue stuff, like many of you do. And, uh, you know, because I'm a believer in the Word of God, you know, the thing that snared me was, was Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, and he said, do not forbid to speak in tongues. Boy, that blew my Baptist theology and the whole boat out of the water. So I began to study and I began to see this thing about spiritual gifts were what was lacking in our church. I began to read about healings and deliverances and all kinds of things and, and uh, I got all excited. Now, I never did in the Baptist church preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the early days. I just preached on the gifts of the Spirit and the anointing that enables the church to be the church. But it wasn't pretty. But it changed my life. I had a young evangelist friend. He was his 20s, product of the hippie days came to my office. He and I got down on, uh, on that red carpet that I had put in my office in front of that black Naugahyde couch. I mean, I was with it. And he laid hands on me. He him hauled around, him hauled around, him hauled around, and I knew he had something on his mind, and he finally told me, he said, Jim, he said, God sent me by here to pray that you had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I said, all right, what's the holdup? So we got down on our knees in front of that couch, and he prayed for me, and nothing happened. I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't roll in the floor. I didn't do nothing. I didn't feel nothing, didn't know nothing. He got up, we visited, and he left, and I went about my business, not realizing what had happened. A few days later, I was down at the old Matagorda General Hospital visiting with somebody. There was a couple of Pentecostal ladies from the United Pentecostal Church, Pastor Marvin Moore. 
And so I walked in the room, introduced myself. That's back in the days when you could actually do hospital visits, when they would let you go into the room whether you knew the person or not. And uh, so I walked into this room, somebody, a friend of somebody, and I went by to pray for him. And these two little Pentecostal ladies was in there and they said to me, Brother Jim, Brother Jim, we heard about you. And I said, well, what do you mean you heard about me? I said, we heard you got the Holy Ghost. And I said, well, I guess I did. If somebody else knows it. So something was happening inside of me, whether I knew it or not. You see, the reality is this. The Holy Spirit is evident to me and to others. Verse 27 says, For the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Could it possibly be that your struggle in growing spiritually is that you have really never been born again? Now, what, nobody can answer that question but you. That's, that, that's, not a, that's not a hateful thing. That's not a threatening thing. That's, that's just the word of God saying to you. Ask yourself these hard questions. If knowing I know him is reflected by these things that he talks about in those verses in chapter 2, then should they not be in my life? In closing, as we've been pressured to make the church more acceptable to the world under the disguise of winning the lost... We have not made the gospel more acceptable, rather made it a reproach by cheapening the Word of God and the Bible. Can I give you an illustration and then I'll close? This is a post off of Facebook, off of a very well-known site. The heading is God of Revival, and we've been praying for revival. We're experiencing some revival. So a few years ago, I wasn't sure where I stood on the idea of revival in parentheses. To be honest, after experiencing glimpses of it in a not-so-distant past, it seemed rather messy and unsustainable to me. I was worried about the impact it might have on my family. But what if the type of revival the Father is wanting to pour out, listen to these words, is easy, sustainable, and without striving? What if we didn't have to work for it? What if stewarding the move didn't take us away from our families every night, but rather happened in the context of the family? This is the revival I'm believing for. Thank you, Father, for your kindness. Awaken my church. Awaken my city. Awaken me. God of revival, revive your people. Now, I understand the intent of this writer. I understand that. That revival really does begin in the family. But I just want to say in closing... You need to reread the book of Acts if you're looking for a revival that is easy, sustainable, and without striving. Because the book of Acts is anything but that.
You read when the Holy Spirit made his first appearance publicly in the upper room that it was quite pandemonious. They were even accused of being drunk. They were even confronted in the street. They ultimately would be thrown in jail. They ultimately, as the church people said, noised it throughout the city, turned our city upside down. Now let me say this, personal salvation, when it really comes to a person's life, and revival are about as private and easy and sustainable and without striving as a resurrection would be at a funeral. You hear what I'm saying? That your salvation and my salvation is so precious. We can't be quiet about it. We've got to tell somebody. It, it, it is so life-changing that, that, that other people will notice it whether we say anything or not. See, salvation is not about the matter of the head. It is a matter of the heart. It is with the heart man believes resulting in salvation. It is with the mouth he confesses. It changes our lives, church. We become not sociably acceptable. We, we become oddities. We become different we, because we've been born into another family. The world can't relate to what it is that we have. And if we're not careful in trying to make it relatable, we cheapen what it is that we've got because salvation is the work of the Holy Ghost. You, you see, when you got born again, it was not of your own volition. The Holy Spirit set the stage. The Holy Spirit poured the wine. The Holy Spirit prepared the meal. The Holy Spirit set you up. And when you walked into the room, he said, would you come and join me? And we either said yes or no. Salvation is not connected to your personality type. Salvation is a divine work of the Spirit of God in the heart of a sinful man that transforms them from a dead man to a live man. It changes lives, it changes homes, it upsets the apple cart. It's not business as usual. And I ask you this morning, if it's business as usual, if you cannot see much difference in your life before and after, I beg you by the mercy of God and all that's within me, please take another look. I cannot imagine standing before the Father thinking I was going to make it to hear him say, I'm sorry. 
You got it in your head, but it didn't change your life. And nobody knows that but you. You know what happened to me as a 28-year-old? You, listen to what the devil told me. He said, now, Jim, if you, if you, if you say you're not saved and, and you go down there and you publicly do something about that, you know, you're the youth pastor. They're going to run you out of town on a rail. And, and then he'd say, what about all those people that you've led to Jesus? They're going to doubt their salvation because you wasn't a legitimate Christian. Boy, I fought that battle for days. But boy, it came to the place where I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I had to get that thing right. And I slipped out that day and hasted my way down to the front. And I can tell you what, it's been a long time. Well, I'll be 50 years next month, next year, on my 78th birthday, 28 to 78. And you know what? The peace is still there, and the passion is still there. I got saved. My life changed. Now, let me ask you the question. Did your life change? Can you honestly say yes? Then thank God for that. Now go and let your little light shine. Quit worrying about what your neighbors think. Quit trying to be acceptable. Be different. Be established. Be your own man and woman, God's own man and woman. Let the world see there's a difference. Let that anointing that's on inside of you out. Don't be ashamed to say, let me pray for you. You see, because in doing that, you become a witness. And maybe sometime in 40 years, you'll get a phone call and you'll get to reap the harvest of the seeds that you sowed because you didn't compromise the message. I'm going to ask you this morning with all sincerity, not trying to talk you into nothing, not trying to talk you out of nothing. I'm just simply saying to you this morning, I believe that you need to settle the question today. I think you do. God's brought you to this place. I may not be the flashy Southern Baptist evangelist, but I'm here. And I've tried the best of my ability to tell you the truth about the goodness of God and the blood of Jesus. I used to tell people, I'd rather you get saved twice than be lost once. I often say, I roar out my rededicator in the Baptist church. You know, Baptist church, you, uh, you come forward, basically, to get saved, to move your membership, or to rededicate your life. To rededicate your life, 
means that what you have in the intent of your heart is, I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. But you see, the problem in my rededicator was I had never dedicated to start with, so I couldn't rededicate what I had never dedicated. So until I dedicated, I couldn't rededicate it. So that's the reason my rededicator didn't work, because I had never dedicated in the beginning. Now that may be you today. I don't know where you are. I want you to stand with me right now, if you would. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. If you're here today and you do not and are not confident and you want to shore it up, firm it up, you, you, you want to be able to put a stake in the ground, you want to say this day beyond all days. See, I still see that day sitting on that front row in that Baptist church. I still see that day. And I know you cannot convince me that I'm not born again because my life changed. I want you to know that. And if you're here today and, and, and you're not for sure that you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, I'm going to invite you to do something, perhaps the boldest thing you've ever done. I'm going to invite you to come and join me here. And I'm going to pray a prayer for you. See, it's not me and you making an agreement. It's you and God. It's when you walk down here, you say, Father, I'm settling the question. It is all to you I surrender. I surrender all. I'm going to begin to notice my witness. My witness to others is going to become important. My lifestyle is going to become important. It's going to matter to me what God thinks about where I go and what I do and who I'm with and how I talk. But only you can do Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.